Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN.com. We're back in 2019 with an all-new episode of the Take 10 Podcast. It's been a while since we've uh, dropped one, just this past holiday season with the way the holidays kind of fell on Mondays and Tuesdays, and Tuesdays are usually the days I record and try and get guests, and I uh, just had to kind of shelve it for a couple weeks and enjoy the holidays, and now get back at it now that we're in 2019. So, got a great interview coming with a former Big Ten football player for this episode, and we have a stat head segment as well, the uh, segment we do each week with BTN researcher Harold Shelton is back for Big Ten basketball season as it's in full swing, and we kind of put a bow on the college football season as well with some college football playoff general thoughts and uh, evaluation of how the Big Ten performed these last few weeks in the bowl games. So the football player I mentioned is former Purdue quarterback David Blau. David has really risen to prominence in his last couple years. I'm sure you know his name if you're a Big Ten football fan. He led Purdue to back-to-back bowl appearances. He's been really a, an outspoken guy, kind of the face of that program under Jeff Brom, and also um, was good friends with uh, Tyler Trent, who recently passed away following his battle with cancer. So, you know, the, the David Blau interview is timely in the fact that he just played his final game for Purdue a couple weeks ago, and unfortunately it's also timely as well because he uh, was good friends with Tyler, who uh, was a friend of the show as well, was a, was a guest a few months back after that Ohio State game, and since Tyler passed away on New Year's Day, uh, I was very thankful that David was able to come on and pay tribute to his friend. We do talk about Tyler at length, and, and David does a great job reflecting on Tyler's life and kind of the friendship they built. And then, you know, even though football talk kind of seems pretty insignificant after that, uh, David and I got into plenty of in-depth discussion on his career at Purdue, his path to Boilermakers, his ups and downs in his career, and um, just, you know, a ton of in-depth chatter that I think Purdue fans really enjoy, even... Uh, some stuff that diehard fans, we get into some stuff that really close followers of the program will still be interested to hear, might not be aware of, um, such as you know, kind of what the vibe was like on the ground when Jeff Brown was being courted by Louisville and the uncertainty was kind of swirling there. And uh, David also gave a clear eye assessment of the unfortunate, if you're a Purdue fan, unfortunate uh, result in the Auburn game and kind of why the Boilermakers got destroyed in that one and how the program moves forward from that disappointing ending to what all things considered was a really good season for Purdue in year 200 Jeff Brom. So that discussion with David Blau uh, is coming up. It's a lengthy one. It's about 45 minutes. Uh, he's very generous with his time. And then following that chat, we have statted segment with Harold Shelton. So before we get to the discussion with David Blau, just a quick reminder that you can find the Take 10 podcast on Google Play, on Podbean and of course on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and it's also on YouTube as well on the Big Ten Network YouTube channel so you can subscribe on any of those platforms and you won't miss an episode of the Take 10 Podcast. Alright now let's get to our discussion with former Purdue quarterback David Blau. Like I said we go about 45 minutes on all things Purdue football on Tyler Trent and a whole lot more. It's a Take 10 Podcast discussion with David Blau. It starts right now. Very pleased to be joined by a four-year quarterback for Purdue. He's a highly respected college football player on a national scale. And he's about to begin the next phase of his career. It's David Blau. David, thanks so much for joining me. Alex, thanks so much for having me on. This is great. Absolutely. And David, just off the top of the show, I first want to offer my Condolences to you and all the Purdue community on the loss of your good friend, Tyler Trent. I was uh, lucky enough to know him personally as well, uh, not quite uh, as closely as you knew him. And, you know, he couldn't have been nicer or more gracious. So it's just a profound loss for all of us. Well, thanks, Alex. Uh, you know, somebody like Tyler brought our entire community together. Uh, you know, we're, we miss him. We love his family. and uh, He really meant so much to the entire pr- Purdue community, I'm looking forward to you know sharing some of those stories and things like that on the podcast. Yeah, and your relationship with Tyler has been heavily documented, obviously, in the national spotlight on College Game Day. You were side-by-side side with him at the recent ESPN Awards. You were by his bedside when the cameras weren't on in kind of the last days of his fight with cancer. So just take me back to the beginning. How did this friendship originally come about? 
Yeah, so uh, believe it or not, when that kind of legacy of Superfan uh, came about for Tyler was when he camped out for that Michigan game, and that was kind of the first all of our Purdue family uh, kind of learned of his you know, fandom and his uh, cancer story. And so, you know, my family has been impacted by cancer. My mom's a cancer survivor. And, uh, other members of my family have been impacted by it. And, you know, like everybody has, you know, you feel this connection to, to someone. And uh, the first time I actually got to meet Tyler after learning his story back, you know, September 2017 uh, versus Michigan, the first time I got to meet him was uh, when he came and joined us as a captain, an honorary captain on the field for the uh, Nebraska game later that year. And uh, we really kind of hit it off there and then uh, kind of continued our friendship through the winter and into the spring. And Purdue does a great thing through the uh, Center for Cancer Research where they do a 5K, 10K run every year called the Ham- Hammer Down Cancer uh, 5K, and uh, that's where I really got to spend a great amount of time with his family and him for the first time and, and kind of dive deeper than just a surface-level friendship and relationship. Yeah, and his story really came in the national spotlight before that game against Ohio State because his uh, fight was featured on College Game Day. Obviously, you were in that piece as well, and I remember watching that, and there was a, a real doubt as to whether he would make it to West Lafayette for that game. Did you talk to him or interact with him in the week leading up to that game? And did you think he was going to be able to make it, um, you know, in body, not just in spirit to, to that upset of, of Ohio state? You know, we, uh, we didn't know actually, believe it or not, um, that he wasn't doing too well that week. We had taken him to get the game ball, uh, after Nebraska and, you know, we knew ESPN was coming through and wanting to do the piece for game day on him. But um, at the time we took him the game ball at Nebraska, we thought, you know, he was doing okay and he'd for sure be able to make it uh, with us, you know, for the season and, and definitely to the Ohio State game. And then, you know, uh, my mom and his mom actually became good friends. And uh, my mom had informed me that he wasn't doing too well. And then, you know, you saw the bit on uh, – college game day and you sit there and you, you start wondering you know you don't know exactly and I hadn't really been in communication with him um, throughout that week as we were preparing and uh, he was going through his own things that you know are unfathomable for people who aren't going through what he was dealing with and, um, so we didn't have that much communication but there was something different about that night and it was him being there a part of it him uh, them announcing that he's in the crowd and the entire place who had seen that piece, you know, the 26 million people who had seen the ESPN game day piece, and there was just something different about that night. And uh, Tyler being there is what made it as the story what it was. Absolutely, and it was my favorite moment of the college football season for sure, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that sentiment. And when it comes to Tyler's just overall energy, you know, we, we saw – he wasn't feeling too hot in that week leading up to the game. But in the months that followed, I mean, he's had so much energy, especially considering what he was going through. He was so positive, and that was really a big part of what inspired so many people. I don't know, like, I just want to get your take on how do you explain that energy uh, that he had, you know, going to all these events despite what he was battling. Why do you think that was that that, uh, he was able to to do that despite, you know, his his battle? You know, I like to share – uh, the entire Trent family's humility. Uh, they are so gracious for everything that they've been able to do. Uh, Tyler felt that he had a responsibility with this uh, cancer, this disease that he was fighting against, that it was his responsibility to share his story so somebody in the future uh, might not suffer the same thing, the same way, the same pain that he's experienced and that there might be an answer to it. And if that's not um, the greatest act of selflessness, the greatest act of uh, courage and, you know, commitment to joy through adversity. I don't know exactly what is. And I know, you know, everybody knows Tyler was a man of faith and he lived it. And, you know, he and I share that. 
he shares that with a, a lot of people throughout this world. And um, for him to grasp that at the age of 20, though, that whether he was miraculously healed and lived till 75 and uh, can live here on Earth and tell his story and share the grace that he knows uh, from God, or if he died and ends his death, um, his story was being told and his testimony was being told uh, at 20 years old, but is an incredible lesson for everybody to learn from, and really his entire family. It, it has been such a huge blessing to get to know him and, you know, Blake and Ethan and his dad, Tony, and his mom, uh, Kelly, and, and they've just been a fantastic example of how you're supposed to live, how you're supposed to attack each obstacle that you're going into with uh, joy. Uh, that's the verses that are on that wristband. Rejoice always, pray continuously, and give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say in some circumstances, it says all, and that's what they believe that are for. Yeah, well said, and I'm really glad that he got to fulfill that mission, You know, not only of giving back to others in that community, but seeing his story told on a, on a global scale as it was. And, you know, like it wasn't just the, the big news outlets that he was was willing to go on. I mean, in the days after that Ohio State upset, I, I messaged him and, and asked if he'd come on this podcast, and he, doesn't hesita- he didn't hesitate. He said he would be honored to come on this podcast, which, you know, compared to College Game Day or Scott Van Pelt's Sports Center is nothing, but he said he'd be honored to do it, and that just really uh, hit home for me. So it's been great. And, David, I want to – before we um, move on, I want to ask one more question on Tyler – we all kind of feel like we know Tyler Trent just because his story um, was so widespread, but you really had a more personal relationship with him. So what's somebody? What's something that people might not know about Tyler that you learned about him uh, as you guys grew closer? Man. Um, you know, something everybody knows or, you know, who have somewhat seen his story – could probably tell that he was intelligent, but you know he was at Purdue on a presidential scholarship, almost a perfect SAT score. And so, whenever I saw Tyler, whenever we got to spend time together, when, even when we were on the airplane to Atlanta, uh, Tyler was reading books. He was uh, working on his iPad. He's writing his speeches uh, for whatever he's going to share at the, the college football award show. This young man was incredibly intelligent and could comprehend so much and uh, I love telling the story of uh, something even right before we're about to wheel out on the stage at the uh, college football award shows and he's going to you know, receive the award, the Disney Spirit Award he's sitting back there, he pulls up his phone and he looks at his notes and in the middle I see his verse and I say, you know, the verses that, that mean a lot to him, I say, see are you going to share those with everybody and said, yeah, that's been my rock. I have to share it with them. And um, it was just cool to kind of get the, even for me being there kind of as an adopted son with that family and adopted brother to Tyler for, for the weekend, just to see how he uh, carried himself kind of in everyday life. And even in the midst of this uh, disease that was attacking his earthly body, it was never attacking his spirit. Well, it's all really well said, David, and it's been awesome to watch how you guys, not just you, but the Purdue team and community embraced him and his cause, and now we all know that his legacy at Purdue will definitely outlive all of us, so I appreciate that perspective. And, you know, there's really no good way to transition out of this from such a somber and serious topic, but I I do want to get into your personal path while I have you on the show now that your Purdue career is over. So, David, i got to ask, uh, you know, now that, football college football is over for you what are you up to now are you done with classes and everything you just uh training for the next level i'm done with classes and i've i've moved I've since moved uh back to dallas and um i'm living at home right now getting ready for the draft i'm training at a facility called the michael johnson performance center in mckinney and uh gonna go play in the east west shrine game next week you know, hopefully get evaluated and earn my invite to the combine. And I'm just going to try my hand at the next level and, and you know, take whatever the game kind of has to offer at that point. If, if they want me and they're calling, I'll be there. And I'm going to play as long as 
uh, people want me to play. And, uh, you know, I've got some other plans. Tuesday, I'll be going back to Indianapolis with Tyler's funeral, obviously. And, uh, and then in March, I'll get married to my uh, high school sweetheart, Melissa Gonzalez. We're uh, getting married and planning on you know, starting our lives together, too. So that's kind of what, what's going on for me this spring. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Congratulations on the wedding. That's awesome. Uh, all grown up almost. And I uh, know. I'm 23 <laughs> years old with gray hair and getting married. Yeah. You're an old soul. Uh, I got to ask, is is it a situation for you where if the NFL comes calling, that's great, but if not, you know, you might start the next chapter of your life, or, or you have your eyes on something like the CFL with these new football leagues coming up, like the XFL in, in a year or two, or, or uh, I think there's a league called the, the Alliance. Alliance. Would you, yeah, would you try your yeah. hand in any of that? Yeah, I, I certainly would. I think, uh, obviously, the top goal is the NFL, and that's what I'm pursuing. But, uh, you know, I've had conversations with Brian Brom, our quarterback coach, about the CFL and uh, his time that he spent in Canada a little bit. And uh, I know some of the other guys playing in the Alliance. So uh, I know there's a spot for me somewhere. Uh, I love this game. I'm gonna I'm gonna go after it for the next few years. That's for sure. Well, David, if you end up playing somehow in the XFL at some point, you <laughs> have to do a uh, repeat rendition of your coach Jeff Brom's legendary interview when he played in the XFL. Deal. I think if if I get into the XFL and uh, something like that were to happen, I'll, I'll for sure uh, remake that video for everybody. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Um, and, and while you're training now in Texas, living at home, is there any time to just chill a little bit, or, or is it kind of all gas, no breaks for you as far as your, your training goes? Well, there's, you know, in the in the schedule for the training, there's one off day, but uh, even those are filled with, you know, recovery and uh, things like that. But right now, it's kind of all gas, no breaks, and I'll be, you know, Tuesday I'm going back to Indy, and then I'll be leaving for the East-West Shrine game. So, obviously, that'll be all business, but even while I'm on a resort Florida kind of get and enjoy that uh, I'll try to I'll try to kind of take it all in and maybe relax a day out there or so but I'm gonna need to be on the top of my game if I you know want to impress some of the NFL personnel so say you do get some free time what, what does David Blau do and it's not football related what are some hobbies oh goodness uh, right now it's been uh, sticking stamps on envelopes and wet my fingers and enclosing wedding invites for my fiance. That's been my task uh, in my free time now. But tonight I think I've got some of my high school friends come over. We're going to watch the Dallas Cowboys game, uh, watch the Cowboys Seahawks. And, and that's kind of how I spend my time. It's either, uh, you know, relaxing, watching sports or hanging out with uh, my girl. So pretty much one of those two options. You a big Cowboys fan? You know, I was born and raised in Dallas, so you're pretty much forced to be. But at this point, I, I've kind of lost all my loyalty just uh, over the time. Get, making teammates who, you know, D'Angelo is playing in Green Bay or Jordan Bruce is playing in Seattle. You know, I'm rooting for guys more so now than I am for teams. Oh, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, that's, I, I'd say you're not alone in that either. I feel like talking to guys who are transitioning to the pro career, it's hard for them to, to really root for their childhood team anymore. Um, yeah, it is. So now that your your Purdue career is over, and, and you know even though you've been really prominent, especially these past couple of years, in the eyes of just your average college football fan, I'm not sure people outside Purdue kind of realize the peaks and valleys that your entire experience at Purdue kind of entailed. So just to get into all that, I want to start at the very beginning, and the way you received your your Purdue offer itself was pretty unique, as, as from what I've read. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it was the day of. I guess 2013, where you know, I was a junior getting ready for my senior season, kind of that summer of training. And, uh, I had been invited to the Elite 11 finals by Trent Hilfer and his staff. They do an incredible job. Trent had uh, actually had Drew Brees kind of reach out to me to, to offer that official invite to the Elite 11. And that happened. And Trent did that because I had told him that Purdue – had been pursuing me pretty hard, and I think Purdue would have offered anyways, but when Drew Brees uh, extended the offer to me to come to the Elite 11 Finals, it put some pressure on Purdue pretty much immediately to uh, 
offered me a scholarship. And that was my first offer. I fell in love with it, and I'm glad I did, man. I'm thankful for, for it all. How can you say no to that, you know, Drew? <laughs> it's a lot of pressure getting right. the in, uh, offer from the GOAT. I know. He's, uh, and he's first class. So when that came through, you know, I was nervous because the night before, Drew had actually tweeted something like, tomorrow I'm going to extend the fifth Elite 11 invite to somebody and we share a lot. You know, there's a lot in common. And, you know, I'm from Texas. He is similar initials, similar stature. Um and so I was sitting there thinking, wow, this could really be me he's talking about. And uh, for it to come through the next day, that was incredible. Yeah, really cool. And, and getting to your Peru career now, just as an observer from the outside, um, looking at the last four or five years, I kind of put the line of demarcation in your college career after your sophomore season. So I consider it kind of before Brahm and after Brahm. I know for right. someone who lives it, you know, it's so much more that goes into it than that. But to put things in perspective, you were a starter uh, your freshman, sophomore seasons. Team overall wasn't very good, and you led the nation in interceptions your sophomore year with 21. Yep. So just where were you at confidence-wise after that season with a new coach coming in, didn't win a lot of games, and you didn't really know what to expect? Where, where was your head at? Well, I think as a quarterback, that's something uh, kind of at a young age is ingrained in you. And- for the ones who have success and are able to play at a high level in high school or college or professional level, you have to be able to um, turn on the film, accept your criticism. So, you know, while I left the country in interceptions, I'll tell anybody that. Uh, I'm thankful for it because it made me work harder. You know, we had a lot of good things that happened that year as well. We had, you know, 3,300 passing yards and a bunch of touchdowns and then yeah, we also led the country in interceptions. But if you're the right kind of person, you go back and you get better from those things. You learn from, okay, how come I didn't see that linebacker? How come I didn't see that safety? Or uh, why it was my decision to try to force the ball right there? You know, different things that um, you can go back and reflect on and, and get better because of it. And uh, I'm glad I did. And with a new coaching staff coming in, I knew – after I had just led the conference, led the nation in turnovers, that I was going to have to improve drastically if I wanted to see the field with a new staff. And, um, you know, I had seen what Coach Baum had done with 4,000-yard passers, 40-touchdown guys, and I wanted to be a part of that. So I was going to work uh, incredibly hard to show him that I could improve my decision-making and uh, be somebody that he could trust on the field. Well, after that season and when Brom was first kind of getting established at Purdue, your confidence from the outside looking in seemed completely fine because you were selected to deliver the keynote speech at the Big Ten kickoff luncheon here in Chicago uh, during Big Ten media days. So how did that whole process come about? You know, I was informed by our SID or uh, Matt Rector back in, I think, June of the year that I was going to be attending media day and that he asked if it would be okay if they submitted my name to be uh, under consideration for the the keynote speech. And kind of once they started, you know, the talk of it, I went and I was like, oh, man, this is a huge deal. And so I watched Kirk Cousins and I watched John Urschel and uh, Nate Sudfield and guys like that. And I was, um, you know, trying to think of what I would say. And I didn't even know if I had, you know, gotten a gig or not. And, uh, later on, probably about two weeks before the luncheon, maybe three weeks before the luncheon, they called me and said, you're going to be the keynote speaker, and, uh, you know, what do you want to talk about? And I had no idea. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to share. And then um, I was actually writing a paper for my class about my um, kind of, we had to do an ancestry thing, ethnicity background, and where all my people came from. And, uh, you know, where all my ancestors came from. And it kind of sparked a fire in me that, you know, I was a part of a team that had so many people from so many different places. And that was a short, the story that I wanted to share, that uh, football brings people together. And, and um, you know, I actually even emailed the professor and thanked him for the assignment. The first time I ever did that in my life. I think <laughs> I thanked the professor for the assignment that he gave us because it made me think about, you know, all the different people that I was close to and, you know, it was what football had brought me and I just kind of wanted to share that and knew I had a great platform to put that out on a 
really a national stage. Were you nervous going into that? Because I remember sitting there watching it, and honestly, it reminded me of a politician speaking. Like you were composed, you delivered on all the lines, and you had the whole room kind of the palm of your hand, and everyone reacted accordingly. You got a standing ovation, and it's just an awesome speech. So did you have any underlying nerves? Because if so, you didn't show it. You know, I was definitely nervous uh, leading up to it, but kind of once I, you know, it's like a game. I think all the football players you talk to would say, well, once you get that first hit out of you, once you, um, you know, that first plays out or incompletion or completion, once that first one's down, you kind of just get in rhythm. And for me, I was just, I uh, got up there and just started flowing. I had my three pages of notes in front of me that I don't, you know, I think one time I might have had a little hiccup and I tried to look down and I was already on the second page and uh, I wasn't going to go through and find it. So it just started flowing and it just came out because of the times that I had practiced it and, and tried to, um, you know, prepare for it. And, you know, luckily I had prepared and uh, it just came out, everything that I wanted to share. And that's what kind of made that day special was. Yeah, you know, I, I shared this message that was powerful and on my heart, and my preparation for it had paid off as well. So I was, that was an awesome experience. And the support received from that um, was as incredible as anything that I've ever been a part of. You know, letters from Kirk Ferentz and uh, Coach Chris at Wisconsin, his mom actually wrote a letter, you know, things <laughs> like that. But, uh, you never imagine how far the span or reach of something you say can go. Yeah, it's really cool. If I ever teach a class on public speaking, I think I would pull that video up and, and show it as an example of uh, what to do. Um, well, thanks, Alex. <laughs> back to the field. Uh, now that Brahm has arrived um, and is now your coach, you guys do a complete 180, win a bowl game your junior year. Uh, however, personally for you, you weren't able to finish that season. You dislocated your ankle in the Illinois game. So going through that experience with – you know, things kind of turning around on the field for the team as a whole. Where was your confidence at knowing that, okay, this is a battle now for me to earn my spot back heading into my senior year? Right. And, you know, while I, yeah, dislocated my ankle and uh, kind of right at the point where I was finally getting to play a little bit and start some consecutive games, it was. Um, awesome to see what the team was accomplishing, even, you know, while I wasn't particularly getting to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, some times it was hard because uh, I wanted to be there and I wanted to experience it with them. Um, it was sometimes it was hard to watch Eliza have so much success, but uh, that was the pride in me that I had to fight. And um, at the end of the day, I, I learned. Uh, through it all, and I knew because of other things that I'd been through, the the downtimes that we had had, that this was about Purdue at the end of the day. And that's where I found my joy was seeing, you know, Jawan Bentley get to go to a bowl game as a senior after he had worked so hard. and uh, Elijah come back and have the incredible games after he was battling the knee injury, the ACL. I was finding my joy in these guys having so much success. Um, even though I wasn't getting to be a part of it on the field, um, but when people work so hard, when you, you bleed and sweat and cry and things like that together, um, those bonds are formed and you want to see people have success. And that's where it felt so good for me to be a part of, even though I wasn't on the field and, uh, you know, the guys kept encouraging me. I had great support around me. Uh, I had a great plan with the training room and, um, we made strides on my recovery and I, you know, I just had goals and those things as well to, I know that. You know, if I came back the next year, yeah, it was going to be a competition. But if Coach Brom said, hey, you got a shot at this, I was going to be there. I wasn't going to get up and leave uh, my guys that I'd been there with for four going on five years at the time. And not to linger on the injury, but one of the coolest moments, you know, memories at least I have from your career is you in the ambulance reacting to the touchdown your teammates scored with the cameras on you and you kind of sat up and reacted. That, that, was, that was pretty neat. Yeah, you know, we had been like that all year. If I was um, slumping, Elijah would come in and play great, or, you know, he had a bad drive or two, I'd come in and 
to try to pick them up, and you know that's what we are. Our Purdue quarterbacks take a lot of pride in being there for one another. It's not like that every everywhere, um, and it's not always been like that at Purdue. But uh, Elijah and I, the relationship that was that was a special moment. So speaking of the quarterback competition and kind of uh, everything that went into that heading into training camp, I just want to bring up an observation I had when we visited West Lafayette back in August and observed a practice. Uh, your coaching staff, and like this includes all the assistants and all the support staff, that staff was the most vocal coaching staff that I had seen of all the 14 practices wow. we'd been to. And it seemed like you guys had the most fun out of everyone. Like They got on you guys, but it was in a good-spirited way. Uh, what was that like, and was that a difference from – your last staff that you had uh, before Jeff Brown got there? Yeah, you know, I think uh, having coaches who played quarterback, uh, they understand, you know, kind of what a practice needs to be like. They understand um, how to get the most out of their players. And, you know, they understand that competition needs to happen. And sometimes if the players aren't bringing the juice, our coaches are going to bring it until the, the players pick it up. So like Jamarcus Shepard and, Coach Poindexter in the back end, coaches the safeties, and Coach Jackson, they're going to jaw back and forth until their players kind of take on the identity of their coach. And, um, and they've made it a lot of fun. And, you know, Coach Brom has been seen kind of, you know, ripping his quarterback every once in a while. And Brian Brom's the good cop. Jeff Brom sometimes the bad cop on the field. You know, there's, there's all kinds of different dynamics. And, and they've made it fun. And, they're the reason, you know, Purdue's having success, obviously. Uh, I think any outsider can uh, looking in can see that, and that's what makes it special is um, that they have been so good to the guys who have worked hard and not had uh, any success. You know, other places people can come in and kind of weed out those juniors and seniors who you know, were a part of some three and nine teams or whatever. And, and do it their own way. Coach Brom had totally embraced our classes and and used us to help um, you know get the program pointed in the in the right direction. And that's what I'll be forever grateful for. Just while you know, if Purdue's a year or two away from competing for a Big Ten West championship, uh, at least I'll know you know I got to be a part of the foundation that helped point it in in the right direction. And that's all because of Coach Brom. So that energy they had, uh, especially with the assistant coaches and, and the players kind of playing along, that wasn't just because you had the Golden Black Days documentary crew there, right? That wasn't just for the cameras. <laughs> man, that's every day, <laughs> especially with Coach Shep, man. That's every day. Um, they're bringing it, competing, the, the GAs, the uh, everybody wants, you know, whether it's offense winning the day or defense, it's the competition. And I think that's why we, we've had so much success uh, um Really, it's because of how they made practice. Was it weird, like, having a hard knocks type crew around in training camp? Do you have to alter your behavior at all, or was it just kind of background noise eventually? I think uh, at first you, you kind of learn some stuff about your teammates that you didn't know. You see the guys who have to be in front of the camera, and there's some guys who absolutely hated it. Uh, then you see... Uh, who's willing to push the limits of what they can and can't say on on camera, and obviously, you know, the majority of it's going to be approved and cut out. But you kind of you kind of learn about your teammates, and um, it was a fun time to have that crew around. Though I, I wish everybody got to experience that. But um, you know, there were some some tough times too. You know, there were some hard hitting questions. You know, I didn't win the starting quarterback job, and that was public television, right? So uh, everybody. Uh, has their own things, but it, overall, that Golden Black Days was a, was a blast for our TV or for our team. Sorry. Did you guys watch the episodes together? Did you watch all of them, or, or did you not really have time to do that? Uh, I watched, I think, the first two, and then I kind of knew how the third one was going to end, so I didn't. I ended up not watching the third one, and uh, we watched them together, um, and. It, that was kind of if we had time, we, we'd come home and watch them together, but uh, we enjoyed it. You know, you, you'd have funny clips. You know, Kirk Barron is kind of the one of the main characters, and you kind of see whose roles would um, would uh, be on display in different episodes. And uh, Jake Thielen's like, yeah, well, they came out to the house or 
Uh, I had to drive in with them in the car, and they're telling the stories of what happened, so you kind of watch to see if the, the funny stories that your teammates tell you are actually on TV or not. All right, well, David, you eventually won the starting job, obviously. This most recent season is fresh in all of our minds. You guys beat three ranked teams, including the Ohio State game. Had a bunch of exciting games. You had a few close losses that could have gone the other way right. and earned another bowl berth. Uh, big star, though, this season was Rondale Moore. What was it like having a, a weapon like him? Was it kind of? I feel like observing it is just like having the guy in Madden who has like the 99 boosters that you can just dump it off to and watch him go. Yeah, that's exactly how Rondell is. He uh, he's a phenomenal athlete, but he is a pro. I tell you what, he uh, he comes in, he's ready to work. He he eats well. He um, he takes care of his body. He studies the playbook as much as anybody on our team, and he wants to understand the coverages. You know, at only eighteen years old. That's uncommon, and that's what makes him so great. Is yeah, well. You know, he catches a slant, breaks a tackle, and goes for 70. That makes him fantastic, too. But he does all the little things right. Um, I'm lucky to get to play with him. Um, you know, I, I share with people, you know, a good line and good receivers make it easy on a quarterback. Um, and, you know, Rondell is a big part of that. I share when, you know, people come up to me and say, you know, what's it like, you know, being around Tyler Trent? What's it like being around Tyler Trent? And I'm like, you know, I'm a part of his entourage, and I just want to tell his story. I say Tyler's like a, a good wide receiver and good O-line. Uh, they just make it easy on me to, to share his story. Um, uh, I always like telling that story uh, about Tyler as well. But, um, you know, Rondell kind of made this season special for us. For sure. And, you know, it's been talked about at length. It'll be played on highlights for years to come. But after – that win against Ohio State, what was the aftermath like in, in West Lafayette, in a town where, you know, an upset like this in football was probably inconceivable just a year and a half before that? Yeah, you know, really, the town, for one, was kind of on fire for the whole week, just uh, on cloud nine, and it, and it was a blast as players. Um, you know, we went to our morning breakfast spot the day after the game, and I uh, was with, you know, my linemen and uh, maybe one of my friends and got a standing ovation leaving the um, the breakfast and um, it was kind of surreal a little bit because it was one of those nights where with Tyler's story um, how well our defense played and, and things just clicked for us on offense a little bit uh, everything just went our way football's an emotional game and we were playing inspired because of you know Tyler and um after that, we just saw kind of a, a completely different reaction. After starting 0-3 and that kind of being the cap of our four-game win streak there, um, it was really special. It was a really fun time to be a Purdue football player. And, um, you know, we took a lot of pride in, in kind of winning that game. And, uh, you know, I think they'll be talking about it for a long time. Obviously, you know, the, some of the next couple of weeks didn't go as we would have liked. But, um you know, that was an incredibly special evening, one I'll remember forever, yes, for the game, but um, for Tyler, for um, everybody that was involved in that as well. All right, David, well, you've been really generous with your time. Before we wrap up, I just want to get to one or two more topics, kind of cap it off here. And one thing that really piqued my curiosity as the season was wrapping up was the collective mood around the team while Jeff Brom was being targeted by Louisville in the coaching search. Yeah. And I'm just kind of, you know – Curious what that atmosphere is like in the locker room within a team when a head coach is rumored to be potentially leaving. Like, do you guys talk amongst yourselves? Do rumors swirl and group texts? What happens on the ground there? You know, I think, uh, yeah, with some of your closest friends, you know, that's a comfortable conversation uh, to have, you know, to say, well, you know, we understand Louisville, that family, um, I couldn't be mad at a man for taking a pay raise and supporting his family and going back home. I could, you know, never be upset about that. And um, then there were, you know, there's some guys who said, well, there's no way he's leaving. There's some guys who thought maybe, you know, there was potential. But he had cleared, been clear with everything for us um, since day one, really. 
he had told us that the rumors that uh, Dan Dockage put out were not true. He had told us that, um, <clears throat> you know, nothing that that he liked our team, that he liked everything about Purdue, and that he really enjoyed being the head coach. And and that's what he shared. And he's a genuine man, and that's what uh, we know to be true about him. And so while uh, we didn't know exactly what the details were, or all the rumors that were kind of floating around, we knew that. You know, when people tweeted, oh, team meeting at 1 o'clock, we knew that there was no team meeting at 1 o'clock. And, uh, you know, that's about as far as kind of the rumors went with our team. It was like, oh, Jeff Brom's met with this team. No, you know, no, no, he hadn't. And so we knew a little bit more than what the media knew, but uh, not that much more. And then, of course, everybody was incredibly relieved when he stayed. And we really didn't have that much doubt that, that he was planning on staying and, uh, you know, he had made promises and commitments, and uh, we're glad he's going to be the coach and produce uh, in good hands for a long time but, uh, with Coach Brom. So how did he let you guys know that he was definitely staying, and then what was the reaction uh, amongst you and your teammates? Uh, actually, uh, we were at dinner, uh, eating in our all-American dining room, so we call it at Purdue, and uh, we were at dinner, and the tweets just floated out that uh, Coach Brom was staying at Purdue. And uh, we had seen that it had been confirmed, and there was a, a press release. You know, one of the Louisville media guys had, had received the release from, I think, the Brom family or Purdue, and um, and that's how we found out. Um, and the guys were confident uh, as the kind of the week went on. Guys were confident that he was going to end up staying, and uh, we were all relieved and wanted to, uh, you know, express to him that we were thankful for what he's done for us and. Obviously, uh, you know, that we're glad to have him back and Purdue's uh, glad to have him as the head coach. I'm glad you brought up Dan Dockich as well because I have to thank you for the shade you threw at him after it was confirmed Braun was staying. You kind of put out a meme out there with, with you tagging Dockich and saying, uh, laughing that he was wrong about it being a done deal to Louisville. So just thank you for your service on that one. Well, I always wanted to use that picture of it. Dan's a good guy. It's just, it's just a little fun, and I knew if anybody could take it, it would be him. <laughs> All right, David, uh, before I let you go, i, I got to bring it up, even though it's uh, probably a sore subject being so recent. But uh, what happened in the bowl game against Auburn? Um, why do you think it got so out of hand? You know, it was, that was a tough uh, game for us. and I think you know across the board it shows Purdue has a long way to go uh, to being that kind of top tier program and you know we understand that well uh you know we've competed with some good teams this year they got out early on us and um they had a great defense and their passing attack was hitting on all cylinders and made it tough really for us to kind of get anything going and that was a tough way for seniors to go out a tough way for our whole program kind of to finish the season but um you know that was a preseason top 10 team who had all the guys had all the nfl guys and um we were kind of outmatched, I think, and, and I think uh, with what Coach Brom's doing in recruiting, uh, I think, you know, for a long time you'll be able to see Purdue uh, hang with teams like that. I just, you know, I think we were probably you know, maybe a year away from being able to hang with that Auburn team. They were uh, give them the credit. They played well. We, we didn't really play that well. Turnovers, I had some turnovers. and uh, It just can't happen if you want to be a, beat a top-tier program like that. I like the honest assessment there. And uh, last question, Dave, before I let you go, and it's kind of a, just a big picture wrap-up. Um, looking back to when you were an underclassman and where this all kind of started, you know, there weren't many successes on the field uh, from a team perspective. Stands were a lot emptier than they were these past couple years. There was no sparkling facility for the football team uh, right next door to, to ross Stadium. Looking back on all that, could you – envision during those days that it would all turn out like it has? You know, I don't think I could. Even, um, you know, when we struggled as a freshman and then I led the country in interceptions and then uh, broke my ankle. Personally, I didn't think it would end up like it could. And for Purdue, um, the way that we've kind of been able to finish, um, you know, you, you put your head down and you go back to work and you believe that it can, but our guys did a good job of kind of removing the doubt that 
you know, we we hadn't been playing good football, that we weren't a good team, and uh, and we played some of our best football when it mattered, and that's what I'm proud of during my time there. Um, that the foundations laid, and uh, I'm thankful I got to be a part of some you know good seasons that with some good wins with some great uh, members of the team, great friends that I'll, I'll be re- be able to remember forever. Uh, forever. And that's what I've always said about football. It's the people that you meet along the way. I think a lot of people have that um, same belief. And, and that's what I'm going to be thankful for about. And I can't wait to be a Boilermaker my entire life and follow uh, Purdue really you know, for the rest of my life, and knowing about the, the adversity we overcame and the good times that we got to have. All right, David. Well, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, really insightful discussion and uh, it's been a pleasure following your career as you've you know not only had a great success on the field but been a great ambassador for the team in the conference so i appreciate that and wish you best of luck as your football career moves forward here Um, thank you so much for uh, having me on the podcast all right thanks once again to david for joining me a lot of fun talking to him Uh, always been one of my uh favorite athletes to kind of follow and cover during my time at btn always super easy to deal with and talk to and uh just awesome to have him on at at this time following a really impactful career at purdue and uh during a difficult time as well when he had to really bury his best friend this past tuesday um tyler trent so really appreciate him taking some time this past week to uh to join me all right, now we'll get to the second part of this episode. It is our regular stat head segment. BTN researcher Harold Shelton we go behind the numbers of Big Ten football and basketball. Plenty of basketball talk and uh, some wrapping up of the college football season as well to lead off the segment. Wanted to, uh, since we talked about it all year, just kind of put a nice tidy bow on things and give some final thoughts and then get full steam ahead in the basketball season which is in full swing and got a couple months to go so we'll have him on regularly as we move along as well all right without further ado it's the take 10 podcast stat head segment with researcher harold shelton all right very pleased to be back in the lab with btn stat head harold shelton it's our regular stat head segment it's the first one of 2019 H, it's been a while, man. How you doing? I'm good, man. I miss you. I miss being on. I know. With the way the uh, schedule, the holidays kind of worked out, this is the first episode in a while that we've done at all. And then uh, just with me and you, you know, kind of being in and out of the office at different times and, uh, you know, the Big Ten Championship was over a month ago and then all these holidays sprung up. It's uh, hasn't come together until now, but I'm glad we're back. Yeah, same here. All right, so let's get right into it. We'll kind of put a bow on the college football season with the championship game wrapping up this week and um clemson winning it all obviously big 10 team was left out of the college football playoff but there were nine bowl teams to talk about so we'll just put a bow on that and uh get your thoughts on not just the championship game but overall the college football playoff structure the debate seems to be heating up about potential expansion what do you think just from a broad view um, I do think expansion is needed, uh, but I don't want to go too crazy with it. I still think six is the perfect sweet spot. That way you can still reward the top two teams. They can get a bye. Three can play six, four can play five. You don't cheapen the regular season. Your conference championship game still matters. I mean, if we look at it this year, I mean, seven was what? Michigan, and I think eight was UCF. Mm-hmm. I mean, should have. A two-loss Michigan that lost by 39 or, or however many points it was to Ohio State really deserved to get in without a conference championship, without even winning their division. I feel like at that point, if Georgia, you know, they feel, still wound up finishing fifth, but the year before, I think when Auburn was in the mix, if they would have lost the SEC championship game and they still get in, like, what's the purpose of these games? Like, right. the wins and losses should still matter. I think that happens if you keep it at six. They seem to, to cheapen a little bit if you expand it to eight. Right. I've always been a fan of six, too. But for some reason, it doesn't get talked about quite as much as I think it uh, as it deserves to be. I think what that 
national championship game did for me overall is just kind of continue to highlight the absurdity of this cosmetic value we put on a team like Georgia and teams from the SEC in general that just because, you know, they push a perceived strong team to the brink and their, their losses look great, that they deserve to, with two losses, be in this conversation and be placed above an Ohio State team in the final rankings. I, I mean, it's just crazy to me because, you know, Alabama then gets destroyed by Clemson. And, and I feel like, you know, once your brand is talked about in that light, then for whatever reason, you're kind of locked into that discussion and other teams are on the uh, outside looking in. And, and it just goes to a larger you know, issue with football for me is I've seen Big Ten teams get left out these last couple of years because of really it's just Ohio State, but because of these bad losses. And I think Ohio State is a team with enough talent to beat a couple of those teams in the playoff. But in a sport like football, I feel like with a team like Ohio State, just with the way they're constructed, it's it's easy in a game like the Purdue or the Iowa game when things just kind of crumble. It's easy for an avalanche to happen and, and for you to quit. And everyone talks about those losses. Don't lose by you know 31 to Iowa. Don't get blown out by Purdue. I think there's a larger context there that, that needs to be discussed because in football, you know, for certain teams, it's easy to kind of, you know, say, all right, we'll get them next week, like, and for things to get out of hand. Yeah, I mean, I do agree that it can't just be a beauty pageant. It can't just be, oh, well, you have the most talent, so you deserve to be in. Like, wins and losses should still matter. Like, yes, Georgia, you pushed Alabama to the brink. Yes, you had a two-touchdown lead against the backup quarterback and you didn't finish the game. But you also lost by 20 to LSU. Like, that matters. Like, you had two losses. I don't care how great you looked. You had your chance. That was your playoff game, and you didn't win it. So wins and losses should still matter. And I know we've talked a lot about Ohio State and the Purdue game, but let's not forget, they're two-point conversion away from losing to Maryland. True. I mean, they gave up 50 in that game. Nebraska pushed them to the brink. You know they they've had they had close calls throughout the season. It's just that they were able to flip the switch those last two weeks against Michigan and Northwestern to give themselves a case. But they weren't playing like a top four team most of the year. And again, wins and losses mattered for Ohio State and how they looked. The, the combo of the two certainly mattered, and it should matter for every league. I'm t- just tired of the bias of the SEC. Yeah, and the last point I want to get off my chest before. Stop talking about football for a handful of months here. Is just how college football um, seems to be, you know, such a emphasis placed on the regular season, and I, I don't understand it because other sports don't worry about the regular season nearly as much as the, the pundits seem to worry about the value that's being taken away from the regular season. Like that seems to be always the defense of, of why it's kept it for. Like we'll take away value from the regular season. Like, I don't understand why the regular season matters so much to so many people. Like, March Madness is great because it's it's such a, you know, highly vaulted postseason tournament. Other sports are fine without the regular season being, you know, so emphasized. And by the nature of what college football is, the regular season is always going to be important. It, it's, you know, every week it's an event. It's it's the pageantry. It's College football is not losing significance because you go to eight teams or, or six teams. I don't know if you agree, but, like, I'm just sick of the regular season argument from what I see on college football Twitter and elsewhere. Uh, I'd love that argument more if the regular season was uniform for everybody. Like if everybody played the same amount of conference games, if everybody had the same championship game format, everybody's playing by the same rules, I think it would matter more if everyone had nine conference games or if your best two teams made the championship game and there were no divisions. I'd be all I'd be all for that argument. I do think it's important but I think it becomes apples to oranges when you compare, you know, an ACC team that plays eight games plus a FCS team plus a team from a bad division. That's not the same as playing a team that plays nine conference games and has to play the second-best team in their championship game no matter what. Yeah, agreed. All right, before we wrap up, uh, all of our college football talk, just want to get your thoughts on the Big Ten Bowl season. With five and four, uh, what kind of grade do you give the conference overall? Uh, I'd probably go B minus. Um, I'd say that because when the spreads for the games were first announced, the Big Ten was an underdog in six of them. Um, I thought the fact that the Big Ten West definitely showed out. I mean, Minnesota and Wisconsin had very impressive wins against the ACC. Uh, the, the downside, Michigan 
took a huge loss, and they were the biggest favorite of any Big Ten uh, team. And the fact that they laid a complete egg in a big spot certainly didn't help. Uh, Penn State was a pretty big favorite over Kentucky, and even though they came back and made that a game and had a chance at the end, uh, that wasn't necessarily a good look. But it helped that our best team, Ohio State, went out to the Rose Bowl, took care of business in a game that the Big Ten doesn't normally win. So it was good to see that. But it was one of those where even though they went five and four, it could have easily been six and three or seven and two if Penn State and Michigan State would have taken care of business. All right, put football talk on ice. It's winter. My Bears ripped my heart out the other day. I'm, I'm done talking about football for for a while for now. now. I'll, I'll watch the Super Bowl, maybe some of the playoffs, but you know that enough football for now. Let's get into college hoops talk. Um, and as Big Ten guys, you know it's a it's a fun time of year, especially this year with. Big Ten being really competitive night in and night out, and not just competitive where all the teams are kind of mediocre and they compete. These are some legitimately good teams that are that are playing ball right now in the Big Ten. Uh, the conference has had as many as seven ranked teams. Right now, I believe there's there's four because kind of those twenty to twenty five pinballed around. Wisconsin dropped out, but I think there'll be six or seven in that neighborhood of the top twenty five for the rest of the year. But um, it seems like right now at the top, the Big Ten we're starting to see a little separation with those two Michigan schools. Yeah, it's crazy that the runs uh, that they've been on. I mean, if you look at going back to February of last year, Michigan's won 29 out of 30. I mean, that's Nuts. just... Uh, that's that one was kind Nuts. of important, though, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the one was definitely important. That's still crazy. The fact that 29 out of 30 in this day and age is tough, cause especially because they don't get the four, the four and five-star McDonald's All-American guys. So to rip off a run like that after losing all of those seniors and stuff, too, I mean, that was impressive. And... Michigan State's quietly won 17 straight Big Ten regular season games. So those two have kind of separated themselves. They're both in the top six in the AP poll. First time that those two have ever been ranked in the top six in the same poll. So you're definitely seeing some separation. Um, We're going to see if those two can stay at the top by the time they play each other in about seven weeks or so. Yeah, it's weird how the schedule breaks down with those two games kind of come in the last week or two of the season mm-hmm. um one thing that i found interesting was i've been getting into ken palm the last couple of years i know that's a Big ranking system guy. yeah you're you're very into and looking at the national rankings right now michigan state's ranked three full spots ahead of michigan michigan state's at 14 and 2 at number three michigan at 15 and 0 undefeated is at number six so without you know getting too deep into the weeds why do you think that system favors Michigan State, and do you think Michigan State's actually a better team? Uh, I don't know if they're a better team yet. Um, I still think that Michigan State's offense is very reliant on Cassius Winston making plays for himself and everybody else. Uh, If they can't run, their offense can get bogged down at times. And we saw last year Winston struggle with Xavier Simpson whenever pressure was put on him. So I'm going to kind of withhold judgment on that uh, and give Michigan a benefit of the doubt on that for now. Uh, I do think that they're playing better. Outside of Michigan's win over Indiana, I feel like they haven't played well in a month. Uh, They made big statements against uh, Villanova, but we see Villanova isn't as good. Mm -hmm. Like, they're still good, but not as good as people thought. Providence isn't great. Providence, not so great. Uh, The win over Carolina will carry a lot of weight. But, I mean, Michigan State had a tougher schedule. Uh, and even though they have two losses, one of those came in overtime without Matt McQuaid. Um, and they're, they've played three games in a row without Josh Langford and had a huge win at Ohio State. So I feel like just the way that they're playing, they're more efficient right now, and they played a tougher schedule. So I think that's part of the reason why they're ranked higher in Kempom. Yeah, Michigan's schedule didn't do many favors in December. They went a full four weeks without playing anyone that, that wasn't really like a, a bunch of bums out there. And they so, didn't play well in those games. Right, so, you know, I, I mean – can't take anything away from them they're outstanding and they're gonna have a chance to prove themselves coming up here they got some tough games uh coming up and both teams look fantastic and cemented at the top of the league but i want to jump down a tier now and, and kind of talk about that next tier in the big 10 and right now to me i look at a few teams i think there's four teams that are in it six that, that could kind of be considered in that next tier of, of good to very good in the big 10 uh, and right now just by how they've been playing is uh, have Ohio State, Maryland, Indiana on um, p- 
potential. I mean, they're good. They have a very good record, but I just think when uh, Finnessy gets back and and you know when they're all playing healthy and with the potential of Langford, I think that can be a very good team and one that improves as the season goes on. And uh, even though Wisconsin looked rough in the last couple weeks, I, I still have them in that tier. So I don't know if you agree if I'm leaving anyone out and uh, what, what your thoughts are on the kind of good to very good tier in the Big Ten below Michigan and Michigan State. I'm just glad we have a good to very good tier to talk about. I mean, last it's been, year. Yeah, a couple of years. Yeah, it, it wasn't. <laughs> last year we had four teams, you know, that made the tournament. And I think we only had four ranked matchups the whole year. And so now. Dark times. Yeah, exactly. Now we got 10 teams in the top 32. Like, I know there's only four in the top 25, but 27 through 32 are all Big Ten teams. Mm-hmm. So they're all waiting in the weeds. I assume Maryland will probably jump back in um, if they beat Indiana. But does that mean Indiana drops out and we keep this same, you know, mm-hmm. merry-go-round going? But I would say that Ohio State, Wisconsin, Maryland would kind of be my next three uh, the way Maryland's playing right now is really impressive, and I think they have the two best NBA prospects in the league with Bruno and Jalen Smith. Yeah, my mind. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. And so I think the fact that they're they were able to get a big win at Minnesota. You know, they struggled on the road last year, but you get a, a experienced point guard and Anthony Collin with those two bigs down low, like they're load. And so I think they'll have something to say uh, about this race. Ohio State, Chris Holtman. Just a great job again. It's crazy. And Indiana certainly talented enough. I agree with you. Once they get fantasy back, there'll be a problem. So a few teams I'm not sure about as far as their ceiling, but that I think will, if they handle business, be NCAA tournament caliber teams. Uh, Minnesota, Nebraska, who I was higher on earlier this season, and Iowa, who actually was lower on um, coming into this season. Those are the three kind of next teams that I think are all tournament caliber, but they still have some work to do business to handle. Uh, Minnesota didn't help their cause. The loss to Maryland last night, kind of head-scratcher. But then, for every loss like that, they beat Nebraska in kind of a similar game. Um, and with the win way at Wisconsin. And the win at Wisconsin. Yeah, so exactly. So, that, you know, there's just teams that I feel like all year are going to kind of be up and down, but I don't know if you agree or you think these even, you know, the next tier even is still tournament caliber? Uh, I think Nebraska's starting five is uh, could you could argue it's top tier uh, caliber could even be second tier. The fact that they can't win away from Pinnacle Bank is a little disappointing considering all the experience that they have mm-hmm. uh, returning. But if you look, like they're they're just a really weird team. They're unranked. They have three conference losses, but they are twelfth in the net right now. And so that's the new metric that's replaced the RPI. That's going to determine a lot of the at-large spots yeah. and things like that. And their non-conference wins are aging very well, too. Exactly. And so I feel like Nebraska, unless they just have a complete met- meltdown, will be a tournament team for sure. Uh, Minnesota and Iowa, I think they're going to have to do some real work in Big Ten play. Luckily, they'll have plenty of opportunities to do so. Um, Minnesota, they had a lot of nice non-conference wins, but... It's just names on paper. They didn't wind up. Those teams didn't wind up being mm-hmm. any good. Like Washington's Utah. okay. Utah's yeah. not great. Oklahoma State's not great. So while they were nice wins on paper, they haven't really turned out to be against good teams. So they're going to have to do more work in conference play. One team that we haven't talked about that I'm a little worried about right now um, is Purdue, even though I think talent-wise they belong in that discussion of teams we just mentioned. But right now, I think realistically, they might be on that tier of um, Penn State and Northwestern. It's kind of the next one below, just by virtue of you know they haven't got it done on the on the court. I know the rankings like them, and I think they do have the talent to you know string some wins together and get to the NCAA tournament, especially because their margin for error, while in the loss column isn't that wide in the. Ken Palm and net rankings are, are they have a pretty decent cushion still. So tell me why you think Purdue is still in decent shape considering they have a, a nine and six record. Well, the good thing for them is that since the league is so deep, there's so many chances for quality wins. Uh, there'll be a ton of opportunities for quality one and two wins. They just have to find a way to win one of those games on the road. Uh, you know, yesterday it was six or seven point game you know against, Michigan final, State. Yep. against in the final six minutes but just couldn't find a way to pull through they're really kicking themselves for that florida state loss i mean they're up eight with about four minutes to go 
and had a chance down the stretch with their two leaders, with Klein and Edwards, and couldn't put the game away. We wouldn't even be having this conversation if they had that scalp on their resume. Unfortunately, uh, no, 9-6, and six, definitely not great, but there still are top 25 in the net as of uh, Wednesday. So I think they'll still be fine, but they can't afford to you know finish under 500 in conference play because they didn't get the non-conference wins. The good news, the other conferences like the Pac-12 and the Big East aren't nearly as strong. I mean, Pac-12 might be a one-bid league. Pac-12 is trash. Pac-12, yeah. <laughs> Pac-12's had a lot of issues. And in the, the Big East, you know, it's not as deep as it's been. So those are extra bids that have to go somewhere. And so Purdue might benefit. They could be a team that has 13, 14 losses and still make the tournament. Yeah, and Penn State Northwestern are teams that, you know, you come in the season, you're like, maybe right now just the results aren't aren't there that uh, would indicate they're more than NIT teams right now. I right. mean, that could change. I think there's talent in those teams. And then Illinois Rutgers playing for the future at this point, seeing what you got and, um, you know, trying to upset a couple teams here and there. The league is still, you know, that was kind of the the saying when the, team, the league was not as good the last couple of years is that it's competitive top to bottom. I still think that's true and that some of those bottom four teams could rise up and, and knock a team off on a given night. You know, we saw Northwestern almost beat Michigan. Um, but at this point, I think it's starting to crystallize a little bit about who's for real. Yeah, I agree. Any other thoughts before we wrap up here? We had a good almost 20-minute discussion. Um, you know, plenty of hoops left, and, and we got a couple months left to play. Uh, so if, anything to add? If not, we can get to it next week. Just kind of enjoying this 20-game schedule. I feel like we'll get a true champion. Um, more time to actually prepare for the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament, which will help me. Yeah, too. the tournament's but, uh, like two full weeks later this year than, than last year, exactly. so it seems, it seems much farther away right now. Selection Sunday on St. Patrick's Day. I mean, we're a long way off, so a lot more hoops to discuss. All right, sounds good. We'll be uh, back here soon. All right, sounds good. All right, thanks once again to Harold and David for joining me on today's episode. Always appreciate chatting with those guys and i always appreciate everyone out there listening as well a couple more thank yous give a uh i'm gonna give a shout out to my producer wes white uh, julie bronder helps out as well and then my assistant producer colleen degnan got some fun stuff planned for the i guess future of the take 10 podcast there'll be some potential new segments and new guests coming in um you know we're gonna keep this rolling every week as uh as much as we can you know sometimes we'll miss a week here or there but definitely subscribe so you don't miss an episode and like i said we have some fun stuff planned that will be uh, rolled out in the coming weeks so till next time thanks to everyone out there for listening thanks to my producers for helping out and we'll talk to you soon here on the take 10 podcast